0: Hi, welcome back to another episode of the She Invest podcast with your hosts. I am Ali Fugit,
1: and I'm your host Carrie Douglas,
0: and we are She Invest. Uh So today we are going to uh, speak with Carrie about her experience about being on a panel at a conference. Uh, it was the Ignite Your Business Conference in Illinois uh, this past week. Uh, so yes, Carrie, fill us in, like. Uh, how did you get the invite? Um, And then we'll kind of dive a little bit into your experience.
1: Yeah. So I happen to know um, the person who uh, was putting on the conference. She owns a um, business coaching business. So she coaches small businesses and entrepreneurs on uh, how to grow their sales. And, um, so she had a room full of entrepreneurs and a few salespeople who worked for in corporate environments, um, who were just looking to get a boost on, on the sales for their business. And then she had a few, um, speakers and a few panels as well, um, to just highlight a few, um, other general business principles. So, um, I was asked to speak on a panel about building legacy wealth and, um, there were a few panelists and, and conversation about how to build wealth through many different vehicles. There was a conversation about crypto, um, stocks investing, and and then I talked a little bit about real estate investing. So it was a really fun experience. And um, there, there was just a really great um, energy in the room when I talked about some of these things. And so I wanted to come and share them here because I think it's really valuable.
0: Yes, yes, for sure. So So let's talk a little bit about like, what did you share with them? Like, I guess, like what were your highlights that you shared with them about real estate build like legacy wealth building?
1: Yeah. So I think the, the first, uh, highlight is probably that I, I debunked this idea that, um, paying taxes is your patriotic duty. So, um, I know there's, there's sometimes a lot of conversation about like, oh, so-and-so doesn't pay any taxes and, and that's bad. And and it's just this patriotic duty. But, um, once I learned, uh, I, I read the book tax-free wealth by Tom Wheelwright. And, um, I learned that the tax code is actually a series of incentives, um, that are written to entice us to do things that the government doesn't feel like doing. So for instance, if I go and purchase a property that I'm going to rent out, I'm providing housing to somebody, that's something the government doesn't want to have to think about. So they incentivize it in order to entice me to do it. And so my patriotic duty is actually to follow that code and to look at that list and say, what is the government asking me to contribute to society? And if I do that, I'm going to get a tax break. And that's not a bad thing. That's my reward for doing the thing that they want me to do. And so I think that was a huge, um, just aha moment for me personally, when I learned that. Um, and so it, it, and it's all, it's all a legal, a legal, not illegal, uh, it's all legal ways to reduce your, uh, tax liability. And it's, it's the incentive, it's the reward for doing those things. So I think that was, um, a really great a really great point of conversation um and then the second piece that we talked about in a room full of entrepreneurs is was just the cash flow quadrant so this is um robert kiyosaki's philosophy on you know who who in the business world is is um paying the most taxes? And so that you know that was a, a segue into that conversation. Um, because this is this was a room full of mainly entrepreneurs and they pay the highest income tax because they don't have an employer paying the employer's portion of unemployment and social security and that kind of thing. So um so usually people who are self-employed can pay as much as 60% in taxes every year whereas someone who's an investor can pay as little as 0 depending on what they're doing and which levers they're pulling so um i just wanted to to kind of impress that upon people that like, hey, you're an entrepreneur, you're, you're making, you're going to start making a great active income once you implement all these great sales strategies that you're learning here, when you have that extra revenue come in, or you get a bonus, what are you doing with that? And if you can invest that in something, this could really help you for the long
0: term. Absolutely. Instead of like wasting away on like the 60% right. taxes, right? Right. Uh, for sure. Uh, okay, so well, what, what did, were there any takeaways that you had, like, um, during that? Was there anything that was brought up that you had not considered on your journey for the real estate
1: wealth building? Um, Yeah. One of the gentlemen was talking, he was also talking on real estate um, and he was talking about, and, and I, I know this to be true, but it wasn't something that I brought up. It was something he brought up that um, when you invest in real estate, it's not about timing the market. It's about the time spent in the market or uh, honestly with any investment, truly. Um, but But he really highlighted that and that was like a great caveat to what I was saying because um, right now we're in a a period of time where prices might still be inflated, uh, interest rates are high and so people are like, oh, is this a good time? Is this not a good time? And um, he reminded us that it's always a decent time to buy because you're not looking at trying to hit the market when it's low. This isn't like a buy low, sell high type of like quick turn we're talking about long-term buy and hold investments um, that are going to appreciate over the long term. So even if prices were inflated right now and we saw 2006, 7, 8, 9 happen again tomorrow, in about 10 years, there would be a recovery from that because that's what happened the last time, right? It was it was awful, but it recovered after 10 years. And so if we're talking about something that you're buying today that's going that you're gonna hold for 20 years, whatever happens as far as the timing isn't going to have an effect on that long term the value of of the property only matters if you're trying to sell it and so if the mm-hmm. price down in two years but you're not trying to sell who cares right it's, it's not important right right um
0: i think i, I want to just kind of like pause on that because i think like this is something i tell like my students i tell my homeowners that i'm working with in our market constantly like there is never a wrong time to buy it's like what are your goals and like what strategies are you using to get you to your goals And I think that's something that a lot of people don't talk about enough because I don't feel like a lot of people are educated in exactly what you're talking about. Like it, if you have the money and you need to put it into an asset, right. It's like, what is that asset possibly going to do for you in the long run? Not like in the immediate short term. Right. Right. So um, thank you for sharing that. And that's huge. And I'm glad that there's like other people also out there in the community saying the exact same thing. (laughs)
1: Yeah. Um, So. I mean, when just to elaborate on what you just said, when you're investing in real estate, there are five different ways to make money from investing in a piece of real estate. And we don't have to talk through all of them right now, but only one of those ways to make money is to buy it low and sell it when it has appreciated. There, the other strategies, especially relating to tax benefits, you know, there are some people out there who have capital that they want to place this year because they need to for. maybe it's a 1031 situation, maybe it's a depreciation situation, Um, but they're going to end up purchasing something with a a higher interest rate right now and maybe an inflated price. But because it's a long-term buy and hold, that's okay. Um, The other thing is that you can always refinance the rate too. So that's something Mm -hmm. to think about. Um, One of the other questions that they asked me um, on this panel was um, to just share some examples of situations where Real estate investments have generated long-term um, wealth for my personal uh, family, and um, I've shared some of these on other episodes. But I I want to circle back to the very first um, real estate purchase that I made, and it was our family. It was our primary residence for our family. And I would say that there are people out there who argue that your primary residence isn't really an asset, right? And that's okay uh, because it can't generate revenue for you, can't generate income. That's fine. But it was that first uh, single family residence that we resided in that opened my eyes to the power of real estate um, because we were really young. We had student loans and we bought a house because it was 2009 and the government was trying to convince us to do it by, again, giving us a tax credit. They wanted people to buy houses. They're offering an incentive to us to do that. And so we were like, OK, guys, we are going to buy a house. And, and we were so young at the time. And um, and we didn't, I mean, we knew what we were doing a little bit, but, but we didn't realize how it was going to impact our family tree. And, um, the student loan payments that we had at the time were like $800 a month. It was a second mortgage truly. Um, and I mean, maybe today that doesn't seem like a lot, but at the time it felt like a lot. Um, and when we bought that house, I think we were a little bit house poor. Like we didn't have a lot of residual income after we paid all of our bills every month. But what it was, was a forced savings account because it forced us to make a mortgage payment every month and pay down the principal on that loan. And if I had had like a little more income and I wasn't house poor and I had a little more flex in my budget every month, I probably would have just been going to Starbucks more often, right? Like I probably wouldn't have been saving that because I'm not like the biggest planner or the most self-disciplined about saving. And so it was, it was a great way for us to have a forced savings account. And we, we took it so seriously in terms of like, we, we never would want to lose our house. Right. So we, we made that the priority payment. We took care of that first every time, every month. And um, so when we were ready to sell that house, after having lived in it for nine years, we had paid down the principal and, and the market had appreciated some, not a ton, but a little bit. And um, we walked away with more than enough money to pay off all of the student loans and then to also put a down payment on the next house. And it was like, that was the eye opener for me um, where I started saying to my husband, like, we need, we need to be investing in real estate in other ways too, besides just our primary residence. That was kind of the mm-hmm. eye opener.
0: I, I love that you brought that up here because I've never actually like thought about that like as a forced saving account way but essentially like for us it was the exact same thing our very first home i mean we got into we we had student loans we were still in college um and we went through a neighbor what was at the time called a neighborhood stabilization program Mm -hmm. where the government was giving yes they were giving us a huge tax break but then they were giving us money to put down on the house so like they were paying our full down payment they were giving us a lower interest rate like a ton of incentives to buy the home and I've never thought about it but that's exactly what happened with us too because like we we bought the home for like 70 and we ended up selling it for like a hundred and fifty five thousand dollars like less than five years later so it was like for the exact same thing that was like our first transition into having enough money to pay off some loans having enough money to put a down payment on something Um, as well as Kyle started another business venture during that time too. So it was like, you know, that one asset took us in three new directions and um, ultimately got us to where we are today because we were able to invest in two other properties from that point. But um, I have never thought about it like that. So that was, that's a very cool analogy um, that I hope that maybe some listeners are taking back with them that, they're not thinking about their primary residence that way.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And again, just that idea too, of like, I don't know how, how diligent you guys were at, at your, at the younger ages about saving, but to have a forced savings account that way, and then also take advantage of the appreciation. Like it's like a a double whammy of, of, but it changes your whole family tree. Like imagine if you hadn't made that decision what would life look like today if you still had student loans and if you, you know, if you hadn't started those business ventures, like totally different, totally different. Oh,
0: absolutely. I, um, I mean, it, it changed the culture of the way that we think too uh, of allowing us to have that. And it wasn't even a financial freedom um, completely. Right. But it was the, in that moment of having that small glimpse of financial freedom to be able to venture out and like reach the next stage of our goals. But I think that, you know, when we were young, we, for exactly what you said, like, it wasn't that we weren't great at saving, like, we definitely had a savings, but it was also the fact that um, we just weren't making enough to put it back, right? Like, we were making just enough to have bought a home and live in it, and then on top of that, add in, like, a year later that we were having a baby, so it was like, you know, we we were just making ends meet. And we never thought about that as like, oh, my gosh, this home is like, we've literally been sitting on this pile of cash this whole time. It was just the roof over our heads that we had made some updates to, you know, Mm -hmm. so that was it.
1: Yeah. Um, We talked a little bit, too, um, on the panel about... Um, the difference between an equity play and a cash flow play, and I think that gets highlighted in the example that we just used with a with a residence that your owner occupying, right? Because it might not be technically an asset because it's not generating any cash flow, but there's still advantages to having it, right? Because of the equity over the long term, um, and so that kind of led into a conversation about 1031 exchange, um, and. I think the other the other thing that I like wanted to debunk for people um, in the room uh, aside from like the patriotic duty about paying taxes was just about capital gains tax. Um there are lots of people who like that's a, like a trigger for them and they're like oh my gosh I don't want to have to pay that. And so I asked the question. I was like if I offered you a raise of $50,000 would you be like no I don't want it because I'll have to pay taxes on that. Like it's, it's okay if you'd want it, right? Even though you have to pay taxes, you'd still want it. So, having a capital gain is not a bad thing. Um, and capital gains are taxed at a lower rate than your earned income. So, right. I would almost rather see myself have a capital gain than like actively make income in a year. So, if we think about the difference between like a piece of real estate that I've been holding for a while and now i go to sell it and i have a capital gain that's one thing versus a house that i bought and sold in the same year and like flipped it that's active income the active income from a flip will be taxed at a higher rate than a capital gain from a property you've held over a longer term so i thought that was just important to highlight for people like don't let capital gains be a dirty word um but then we did also talk about 1031 exchanges and how if you if you do want to trade one piece of real estate for the next um, you can' avoid the capital gains. Um, but eventually, if if you do cash out, it's like don't let that freak you out, right?
0: Right. right. Don't let that hold you back. But I think that it kind of goes back to something that you've you've actually said before. It's the zeros that get people, mm-hmm. right? like if they could if they could take off some zeros of like what you know the actual number looks like, then they would probably think differently about it, right? like twenty five thousand you know, if you take some of those zeros off, like, and you just look at it like a regular number and you broke it down a little bit smaller, um, doesn't make a difference. And Yeah. So,
1: no, um, let's, let's like really explain that. Cause I don't know if we've talked about that on here yet. Um, and so what Ellie's talking about is when, when I'm dealing with some of these larger numbers, like I'm currently working on a $4 million project. Sometimes people ask me like, whoa, that's mind blowing. Like, how do you how do you rationalize like such big numbers? And I was like, well, I just cover up the last zero. Like, so my, my first real estate investment was approximately 400,000 at the purchase price. This is a $4 million project. So anytime I'm having trouble making a decision like, Oh, is this too much to be spending on X? I just cover up the last zero and pretend it's the $400,000 house. So what Allie's saying is like, okay, if I, sold the $400,000 house and I walked away with, you know, 150,000, that feels like, oh no, now I'm going to have to pay a lot of capital gains on that. Like, what if we just cover up some zeros and instead of 150,000, I'm going to walk away with 15 and and what is my, what is the, what is the 20% capital gain rate? Or it might be 15, depending on someone's situation. What is the 15% capital gains tax rate on that lower number? Like, does that feel scary? Okay. No. So now we just add the zero back on So it's, it's an order of magnitude. Yes. But like it, you know, would you say no to 15,000 because you have to pay, you know, 15% right. of that? No. Right. So, so or- yes. then you can put the zero back when you're done. Exactly. You
0: can- or in in the same conversation, of if you broke it down over twelve months, right? Like as if you were receiving it from a W two income, what does that tax look like that you were paying per month? Is, I mean, it's almost equivalent, like or less than what you're actually paying in at something like that versus being invested into an investment property. So,
1: oh, that's a really good way to look at it too. Break it down over twelve months. Yeah, if this was income that I was earning and I only had and I got it every month in this amount and I only had to pay 15 percent income tax, Mm -hmm. which is what the capital gains rate might be for someone. Uh, Yeah, that doesn't feel so scary, right? That doesn't feel like a number. I mean, if people want to use a 1031 exchange to avoid that because they want to keep, you know, reinvesting and keep leveling up in property, that's a great option too. Um, But like, I just didn't want capital gains to be like a dirty word. So, right.
0: Yeah well taxes taxes are a dirty word too and they shouldn't be like yeah you know taxes capital gains like we should just start um normalizing those words as as positive connotation versus the negative connotation that they always get
1: yeah yeah um so there's two more things that i want to share um one of the questions that they asked me was about um passing wealth to your children through a piece of real estate um and how when the child inherits the property they'll inherit it at its current value so it, the term is like they would receive a step up in basis and what that just means is that um if i inherit a property today from a parent that's worth two hundred thousand, i can then not have to worry about any of the capital gains that would have taken place because maybe my parent purchased it at 100 hundred thousand, right so now I'm off the hook um, for all the gain inside of there and I get to inherit it at its new value. And that's great. Mm-hmm. Um, also, if the parent had maybe depreciated it because it was a rental property, I won't have to worry about that. So I get this like step up in the basis and that can be a good thing. And so they were asking me to, to talk a little bit about like whether I felt this was an important strategy for people to be using. And I basically said like, sure, it's great. But like you only die once, Okay. Whereas every single year between now and your death, you could be leveraging tax strategies in a similar way because every year that you file, there's an opportunity for you to be leveraging a tax strategy. So this strategy is really only significant if you, if it's like the cherry on top of all the other things that you've been doing. So I just basically was explaining like, don't over-focus on this one thing because there's so many other things that you can be doing. And, um, The last thing that I'll share was, I think, the most impactful for the room. Um, And this is something that I've been doing for a few years now. I should have started doing it a lot sooner. So, um, this is like this if there's anything to take away from this conversation, this is it. Like I told people, write this down right now. Um, If you are a 1099 contractor or a small business owner and you um, own your own business, you can hire your children and pay them with a W-2. And you can actually give them money and it's not going to be taxed because they'll likely be receiving less than, they'll, like they'll be exempt from tax because they're not receiving enough to have to pay tax. And so you can transfer wealth to your children in that way by hiring them and paying them a W-2. Now, when you do that, and they have a W-2, they now have an earned income. And when you have an earned income, even if you don't have to pay tax because you're exempt, because it's a small amount, you can put that earned income into a Roth IRA. So it's considered post-tax income that you'd put into a Roth, and then that money will grow tax-free. And so the example is, if you have a toddler who maybe like poses in some photos for your marketing. They're a model. Uh, and then maybe you also hire them to do jobs around your house. You have a home office and you have them shred paper and maybe they do some dusting and some other things. You know, keep track of what they would do because it has to be justifiable, right? It has to be an appropriate amount of money. But you start paying them. They have this earned income. They get a W2 at the end of the year, they put it in a Roth IRA. If you start having them contribute $25 a month from the time they're born until the time they turn 18, and then you stop contributing and you just let that grow until retirement age, let's say 67, they'll have $2 million in their retirement. And all you did was $25 a month from now until they turned 18. Like that is so achievable. That is so doable. Um, and and so I was like, I just made your toddler. I was like, who has who has someone under the age of two? Who has a child under the age of two? I just made your child a millionaire. Like, go do this immediately. Um, if anybody wants a contact for someone who can set this up, I have a person who has this like, ready to go on speed dial. And I refer people to her all the time. um, Just reach out because like send me a DM on Instagram. This is so impactful, it's so important. And so I like in preparation for this talk, I had her go back and like run the numbers on like what it'll be for my kids. I didn't start when they were infants. I wasn't self-employed at the time, I couldn't. But um, I started this when my kids were eight and 10. And so they'll have some compounding growth between now and the time they turn 18. And then by the time they get to retirement, I think they'll be at like one kid will be at like uh, almost a million. The other will be at like one point three. And I was like, that's not enough. We're going to step it up. So instead of doing you know, what we are, we're going to contribute a little bit more every month. Um, but it's just it's crazy. I mean, compound interest is like the eighth wonder of the world, right? Like, why are we taking yeah. advantage of this? This is a huge way to build wealth for the next generation. And they don't, I mean, all they have to do is shred my documents, right? Like right. and they're they're learning to you know participate and they're learning by, by the business, yeah, they're being right? in, in what we're doing as a as a small business and, and they're gonna really, really be able to benefit from that. So huge. If you're not doing this out, do it right now, do it right now. Oh
0: yeah. Yeah. Um, no, we've actually talked about doing that in like and off of our um off of the hotel and the management company and like possibly having it go off both ways uh, because it is very uh, beneficial and like we could have multiple accounts for them. But also I think that it's important for people like us who have children, like young children right now, to also think about the fact that like when our children reach retirement age, there may not be retirement for them to draw. There's not gonna be like a social security. You know what I mean? Like there's a possibility that a lot of that's gonna go down just because of the trends that we've seen happening and like the Mm -hmm. decrease of that amount over the past years so um i think it's important that if you're not thinking about it um even if you're not involved in real estate um, or you haven't gotten to the point where you are you know an entrepreneur yet um you need to start thinking about ways to like help your children not be in the position that you're possibly going to be in, right Mm -hmm. or that your parents were in or your grandparents so just always do better and and start thinking about that because ultimately that, that's what we're supposed to do as parents, right? It's like, make sure that they're taken care of and what better way than like making a small contribution monthly towards that.
1: Yeah. And I mean, by the time my kids are retired or retired, 2 million may not be enough. Like that might not, right. who knows what, I mean, inflation, etc. like that might be not be enough. Well,
0: let's but, let's but be that's... honest, a million isn't enough now.
1: I know. I know. You know, like- And that's why I was like, we got to step up our contributions. But for someone who has a toddler and starts this now at twenty five dollars a month, that's going to be two million by the time they retire. If you started with Brayden and you started with you know fifty or a hundred dollars a month or seventy five, like whatever, you're like that's going to be even more. So Mm -hmm. um, so that's why I was like, we need to step up our contributing. But um, yes, I mean it's it's just like again it's not the timing of the market. It's the time in the market. Like the earlier you start, the more they're going to have at retirement because of compound interest. And so mm-hmm. I didn't start early enough um, to let this be a lesson to everybody else. Like if I could go back and just yeah. Shake everyone.
0: <laughs> yeah. You're going to have to send me their contact. Cause I think we're, fi- we're finally ready to like to, to do that. But yeah, um, it has been a topic con- conversation for us because like, We, we also want them just like you're doing, you know, to introduce them to like, to see the lifestyle that we're living and and what we're doing without having to be in that traditional work style. And what better way to, what better way to prove to them that that something like this works than to have a great example like that, to consistently have a conversation with them about um, as they grow.
1: Yeah. It's funny too. Like every time I drag my kids, the hotel and make them do things they're like oh why why do we have to go we just want to play with our friends and i'm like uh because because you are going to be a part of this project for one and because i'm i'm paying you and and when i sell this property or or when you retire, like do you want to have a piece of the pie later yeah okay well then you're going to (laughs) participate like this is a family project get in the car exactly
0: this 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 is the point of generational wealth building. This right. is the point of building a legacy, right? And right. and and it's all if if you want to be my legacy, get your butt over here. <laughs> get
1: your butt in the car. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Smile, <laughs> smile about it. You will do it, and you will be happy about right. it.
0: <laughs> yes, yes, yes.
1: see my, my my
0: daughter hasn't reached that full age yet, but because she's always excited, she thinks that she is the hotel manager. So when she goes to the hotel, she's always very excited to potentially get to work the front desk so um we we haven't we we have a few years until she's probably like kind of dragging butt on us but um you know i'll I'll enjoy it while i'll ask her (laughs) yeah that she actually still wants to go Uh okay well uh this was great carrie and such good advice uh so i'm i'm glad you got to share this not only with our audience but also with the audience at the conference as well because i think it's just super impactful as you're making decisions in your business and and you know, like where you're going to, where you're going to put your money. So thank you for sharing with us. And yeah. Do you have anything else you want to add to our listeners before we leave?
1: No, no. Thanks for letting me share. This is, it was really fun um, speaking on a panel like that. And um, one of my first opportunities to do so. And I like, I can't wait to do it again. So thank you.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Oh, you're welcome. All right, guys. Well, we will see you on our next episode. Bye for now. Bye.